VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yo. Technology. What is it all about? Managing and moving money should be a right for every citizen, not just the privilege for the affluent. And, you know, there's a saying in that it's expensive to be poor. And nowhere is that more true than in financial services. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. I am your host, Danny Fortson, coming to you live from my bedroom. Hope you're all doing well. All is very much the same here, though I'm having a bit of a COVID moment. Uh, My brother's in town with my two nieces, so we've all kind of set ourselves up in remote points dotted around the house. My nieces are back to school, quote unquote, which of course is all online, so they're doing classes in the backyard or in the basement. My brother's on the couch doing Zoom calls. My wife's in the garage, and I'm holed up here. What a bizarre time we are living in. To that point, this week's guest is right on the coalface of these massive changes that were that are happening out there. So Dan Shulman is the chief executive of PayPal, which of course is one of the OGs from the first internet bubble founded by, amongst other people, Peter Thiel and Elon Musk. They're doing a few things. Anyhow, it survived, obviously. And about 60 years ago, it spun out from eBay, and Dan has been... He, he did that spin out, has been running it since. And the company has had such, just a kind of wild six months. The stock has nearly tripled. The company's just been inundated with companies and people signing up um, as, you know, really everybody's forced to, you know, move online, live more of their life and pay for stuff digitally. But as I told Dan, I had kind of forgotten about PayPal. It was kind of this old boring company from the old days. But today it is worth $240 billion which is more than any company in Britain. By a lot, it would be number one in the FTSE 100 comfortably. But again, it just shows it's one of these digital first companies that has seen years of hard slogging growth compressed into just a few months. So we had Dan on to talk about what this last few months has been like, what he's been seeing, talking about the end of money, his time working for Sir Richard Branson back in the day. We talk about also how regularly getting your ass kicked physically gives you an entirely different perspective on life and business and everything else. And also kicking other people's ass. I would say that because Showman is very much into his mixed martial arts, uh, in case you were wondering. So we talk about that as well. There are a lot of pearls in here in this conversation. I think you guys are really going to dig it. So without further ado, I give you Dan Showman, Chief Executive of PayPal. Enjoy. 
So I have lots of questions, but I thought I would start with, um, as I was reading, reading up on PayPal and kind of preparing for this interview, a thought occurred to me, which was like, you know, what a lot of people are saying these days, you know, the, the best thing that's happened in the kind of to the civil rights movement in the last few years has been the kind of the dawn of the smartphone. Because all of a sudden, everybody has a video camera in their pocket, and they can kind of record everything that's happening, put it out in the world, and you kind of start to create change and all that that comes from that. And I was thinking, just thinking about money. Is the smartphone doing the same thing with money? Is it because it does feel like as it burrows more and more into like the kind of the center of our lives, we are living more and more through our phones. And it does feel like people have been talking about the end of cash, the digitization of payments, financial transactions, whatever it may be. And I'm just wondering how you see that evolving, what you see happening, you know, as you are on the kind of the front line of all this. Well, I think that two trends are sort of intersecting at the same time, Danny. One, obviously, is the explosion of smartphone penetration around the world. And the great news about that is the cost of smartphones are really coming down dramatically. I mean, in India, you can get a reasonable smartphone for $25 now. Yeah. And so it's not just mobile explosion, it's smartphone explosion. And the second trend going on is the digitization really of everything, but also the digitization of money as well. And when you combine those together, really think about a smartphone as having all the power of a bank branch in the palm of your hand. And I would argue actually even more power than a bank branch in the palm of your hand, because you have all the benefits of software and artificial intelligence that can help you optimize your shopping, optimize your financial health, uh, your ability to get credit, those kinds of things that, you know, before maybe large parts of the world never had access to. You know, there are still nearly 2 billion people who are outside the financial system. And I would argue probably double that who are underserved by the current financial system. And so I do think that the increasing digitization of everything combined with smartphones is fundamentally changing the face of the financial system. There's probably going to be more change in the next five years than there has been in the last 25 or 30 years. And when you took over PayPal, because this is going back to, two, is it 2014, 2013, when you came on? Was that what you saw? Was that what you were kind of buying into when you were like, okay, I'm going to take over PayPal, which to me, having grown up in the Bay Area and remembering when PayPal first came around, it seemed like a kind of a cool niche thing you would use, you know, to buy stuff on eBay or whatever it may be. It felt like it was still kind of over there a little bit in terms of like having a kind of a pretty narrow use case for most people to where we are today and where, as you say, where you think we're going in the next five years. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and quite accurate. I mean, I think when I came, this is almost to the day, my six-year anniversary at PayPal. And um, I think most people at that time would have thought that PayPal was a little bit, you know, of a, a has-been in the, in the tech field, you know? It's very much kind of of the old, like kind of the old men of the internet, like that kind of group. Right, <laughs> right. And, you know, there are a lot of new players coming in. Apple Pay 
launched almost the day that I got to PayPal as a welcome Dan to the Valley. But what I had seen and the reason I was so excited about moving to PayPal is that I really saw us moving well beyond just being a checkout button and really enabling the ability to democratize access to financial services, which is really a fancy way of saying that managing and moving money should be a right for every citizen, not just the privilege for the affluent. And, you know, there's a saying in that it's expensive to be poor. And nowhere is that more true than in financial services. Ironically, the less money you have, the more it costs you to manage and move it, the more time it takes for you to change currencies from one form to another, to pay bills, to uh, send money to uh, loved ones, to just cash a check. You got to stand in lines and not having access to the financial system and managing and moving money is practically a a part-time job to get that done. And what I had seen when I had spent a couple of years at American Express and started exploring what the intersection of technology and financial services could do to start to drive inclusion, to start to drive financial health. You know, I leapt at the opportunity to join PayPal because here was a potential platform that had a good degree of scale and, you know, was grounded in being a tech company that I felt if we had a a great mission and then a set of values to support that, that we could really transform ourselves from a checkout button to being much more of a platform to drive uh, things like financial health. This is kind of a random question, but it kind of gets to the point you're talking about. Do you think every CEO should spend a day as a homeless person? Um, And if you could give some context for those who don't understand. So uh, when I was the CEO of Virgin Mobile, which was a startup that Richard Branson and I uh, began in the uh, U.S. to take on the big mobile companies, which a lot of people also thought was a uh, was a difficult task uh, to go <laughs> and do. Uh, and there were more than a couple of questions when we started that. But one of the things that we thought about is having a having values, having a social part. Uh, really thinking about how can business be a force for good was a critical element to attracting great talent to Virgin Mobile. And um, to inspiring, not just us, but the customer base, because we were going after the, um, the youth market at the time. And, um, and we decided that we were going to support homeless youth. And I was talking about this, and one of the uh, organizations that we were partnering with, their managing director in front of the whole company said, and Dan has agreed to spend 24 hours on the street understanding firsthand what it's like to be homeless. And had you agreed at that point? No, I had a- <laughs> not agreed at that point. <laughs> but but it seemed like the right thing to do at the time. The whole company that's quite, burst that's into quite a chess pause. move there. That's, that's pretty yeah, good. Yep. Yeah. And um, the reason you mentioned that question and the reason why I think it's such an important question is I truly believe that if you have a mission, you need to feel it with your whole self. It can't just be an intellectual exercise where... Like I could spout off all of the facts about homeless youth, you know, what's happened, why it's so bad. But you can't speak about things authentically if you haven't experienced them. 
And it was only 24 hours out in the street. I don't want it to make it to be any, you know, big thing, but it taught me so much about what it is to be homeless. Just like I put everybody through PayPal through an experience to pay a bill, cash a check, send money to a loved one without using any of their financial or credit card or anything. Oh, this is a requirement as a kind of an it's indoctrination. It's a requirement so that you can talk about what we're trying to do right. with both your heart and your brain. And you are right. so much more powerful and have so much more conviction when you understand, really and truly understand, the pain that customers go through that are outside the financial system or are homeless. And so I do think that every leader should experience firsthand in any way they can the problem that they're trying to address with their, uh, with their company. And is there anything that from that experience in particular that kind of stuck with you, like a moment or a kind of a vignette of like, oh, oh, now I kind of get it now in a way, or was it the whole 24 hours? Oh, well, I mean, of that 24 hours, I probably think the, the one that most made an impact on me was how invisible you are. As a leader, you tend to think that you have good communication skills and you're a great salesperson uh, in rallying people around a purpose or values or whatever you know project you're going after. But when you're on the street and you're dressed just like somebody homeless and you're begging for money, which is a pretty humiliating thing to go do, and you realize it's not that people say no. And somebody said no, that was a good moment because it yeah. meant somebody had a connection with you. Most people don't even want to look at you. Um, and yeah. so, you know, I, in 24 hours, I raised less than a dollar of money. And that was a lot of panhandling and begging for that money. And it's humanity is like stripped away um, yeah. as you go through this. And so that just respect for people and their humanity and who they are, that hit me pretty hard um, and enabled us to do great things, I think, as a result. And I think this is a really important experience as you discussed because i think also especially in silicon valley it's like you know everybody is achingly progressive but it's a lot of it feels theoretical it feels like there's a lot of marketing around that but when it actually comes down to kind of the doing of stuff companies fall short and i was thinking i'm sure you talked to lots of other ceos you know there's this whole wave of wokeness and the wake of black lives matter etc do you get a sense that there is a there there that there that it is real or is it more of this, because again, I think it gets to the point, you know, you went out and did that thing, which was a 24-hour experience, but it stuck with you. It does feel like there's a lot of people talking a big game, but I'd be curious to get your take on what's actually happening in the kind of the boardrooms and at these companies. Uh, you know, look, it's hard for me to talk about other companies, but I yeah. will say my dad said to me when I was a little kid, and uh, he said a lot of things to me <laughs> as, a, as I was growing up, uh, and he really was pretty much my hero and role model. But I remember him saying, son, you are what you do, not what you say. And uh, it doesn't matter if you think you're a good person, but if you're not really doing good deeds out there, you're not a good person. So you can say it as much as you want. And so I think that's carried uh, with me. And I think we don't talk about values without acting on them. 
otherwise, I just think they're propaganda. I think it's actually worse to have values on a wall and not act on them than having no values. Because to your point, it's somewhat meaningless. And um, I think probably one of the most defining moments for PayPal, at least for me, uh, being there and for the company was when we pulled out of North Carolina after House Bill 2 was passed. That was you know known as the bathroom bill. But in our reading right. allowed for the discrimination against somebody for their sexual orientation or sexual identity. And, um, you know, we had just had a huge press conference with the governor of North Carolina. We were just about to open a 400 or 600 person office there after a year long search to expand. And yeah. I remember hearing the governor on um, my desktop saying, you know, and we had signed a petition against it and other companies had. And he said, you know, just everybody's just signing petitions. We're going to be fine here in North Carolina. And um, walked out of my office. I walked down to our head of CorpCom and said, within a week, we're pulling out of North Carolina. And, uh, mm. you know, he was like, ah, don't you want to think about it? And I was like, no, like, there's no way we're going to go ahead with this. It goes against everything that our values represent. And look, you know, I got a lot of death threats. I got a lot of hate emails. You know, I couldn't even go to a bathroom without it being searched first by security because people were worried. But that was the right thing for us to do. And I felt like everything we've done since then, whether it be around Black Lives Matter and the $530 million that we committed to helping fight racial inequality and closing the racial wealth gap, to you know, the Immigration Act, to whatever it may be, we really try and stand up on these values. And I think, Danny, as you said, like, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Are, are you taking action against that and not just talking about it? And I think more and more people are thinking about what kind of actions they're taking. But um, you know, I don't think that's universal yet. We had um, Brad Smith from Microsoft on this podcast last year, and he was talking about the expectations of workers these days and how they have changed and how it's almost like you're like a lot of people who work for Microsoft say, you know, I feel almost like they're like citizens of Microsoft and that they expect the company that they work for to really take stands in a way that they didn't before or that, that at least ref they think reflect their values, et cetera. I, don't, I was wondering if you've had a similar experience because you've been running companies in one form or another for, you know, 25, 30 years now, however long it's been. Have, how have you seen that evolution or have you seen that evolution? VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hmm, no question about it. Look, I think well, this is really, you know, a trend around, you know, multi-stakeholder capitalism. I think that's been a hard shift for a lot of companies. And a lot of companies talk about that as well. But I think from my perspective, you know, I'm willing to say it out loud. I think the most important constituency that I serve is my employees. And, you know, they feel like PayPal is an incredibly important element of their life, you know, working at PayPal. That means, you know, we need to really think about who we are as a company, what we stand for. I think we have a obligation, maybe even a moral obligation to be well more than just about making money. We need to stand for a purpose. We need to, and I don't think, by the way, that purpose and profit are at odds with each other. I think, right. look, at the, at the end of the day, what is the single biggest competitive advantage that any company has? And I think it's the level of talent that they have inside their company. And that talent comes to a company because they believe in what that company is trying to go do. Because the very best have the choice of where they want to go. And they want to go where they're making a difference where they can be proud of their company and where the company has values that reflect their own values and the company stands up for those values. And I think like Brad and Satya, who I think are great examples of, you know, of corporate, good corporate citizens, I think you need to think about, are we treating our employees? Are we treating our communities? Are we treating our customers in ways that aren't just to maximize profit for next quarter, but to build an enduring and great company. And so I I think most shareholders, if they thought about it, would realize that it isn't about next quarter's profits at all, because you can always maximize this or that. It's about how do you build a great and enduring company? And that rests, I would argue, on the strength of the people that you have working at your company. And so I think there is a very symbiotic relationship between purpose and profit. But that that symbiosis, that feels like that is kind of relatively recent, at least in terms of how corporate leaders think about it. Because I think it was the business, International Business Roundtable, yeah, last year put out that statement saying, okay, we can't just be about profits anymore. We can't be just about our shareholders, rather. It has to be more of the kind of a well-rounded you know, holistic view of environment, you know, what are you doing in your communities, et cetera, which I think is, I mean, a lot of people dismissed it as kind of, you know, all right, now let's see what this actually means, if anything. But I do think it's, it was, it feels like it will be a moment that depending on how it plays out could be looked back at as quite significant. Well, I think companies need to do this for numerous reasons, but maybe like if they just thought about it from a, um, a competitive advantage perspective, like how in the world 
can you attract the best people if you're not treating them? Great. And, and by the way, like, I'll give you an example. For us, you know, I was very proud about like what we paid people at PayPal because it was always at or above market in every yeah. location. And um, I did a survey because I know from, you know, our mission that, you know, two thirds of the population, even in the United States, struggle to make ends meet at the end of the month. You know, they're in financial distress. And I wanted to show how, you know, because we were paying at or above market, you know, that our employees did not feel the same way. And what I found is that for our entry level workers and our call center workers, actually two thirds of them were struggling to make ends meet at the end of the month. Right. And that was a huge wake up call for me. I was, I was quite surprised at that um, result. And um, I felt like, look, if our mission is to create financial health, we have to start inside, you know, yeah. the company and we have to create measures. Like, how do you measure whether somebody is financially healthy or not and can save money and doesn't have to struggle to make ends meet every single month? And so we created a metric called net disposable income, which is how much money do you have left over after you've paid your taxes and essential living expenses? Yeah. And we said the minimum that anyone in, within PayPal needs to have is 20% NDI. And what we found in our survey, and it's a complicated methodology because you have to do it location by location, is we had some employees that had only 6% NDI. And so we really had to like think about how do we triple that NDI? And you know, we lowered the cost of health benefits by 60%. We raised salaries where it was necessary. We gave everybody in the company uh, stock so right. that they could be part of the company. And we've taken those NDI numbers across the world, you know, we've doubled and tripled them. And, you know, we're well on our way towards that 20% NDI target. So I know we're short on time, but I have two very important questions before you go. One, so can you just talk about and perhaps put some numbers around what has happened since COVID? Because I know, you know, either companies have been completely obliterated by the pandemic, or the opposite. It's like, it's accelerated the kind of the work that they have been doing or kind of toiling away anonymously in the background. All of a sudden it's like, oh, we need this and we need a lot of it and everybody needs it. And it looks like PayPal is very much the latter. But if you could just talk about what is happening there and how you see that evolving. Well, I think the pandemic advanced digitization across one industry after another by like three to five years and three to five months. You look at healthcare. It's all about telemedicine. You look at our education system right now, so much of it is about telelearning, remote learning. And in payments, that was clearly the case as well. I mean, people do not want to handle cash. They do not want to go into stores as much as they used yeah. to. When they do go into stores, they don't want to touch the point of sale uh, systems. And so the advent of digital payments just rocketed. And, uh, you know, we saw a 140% increase in net new actives. You know, we had like something like 21 million people uh, sign up for PayPal in the second quarter alone. In the UK, uh, net new actives were up 300% year over year. Right. And, you know, we had just all-time record growth across pretty much every one of our metrics. 
But that's because our customers were turning to us in this new environment. Like we have a lot of trust. We have a lot of scale. We put on 1.7 million new merchants in just the quarter. That's up about three times our our average. Um, and so I think you're beginning to see an acceleration in the demise of cash. Something like 40% of all people say they really don't want to handle it. And so that, by the way, has lots of interesting connotations on the face of retail, the face of entertainment. You know, what will central banks do? You know, central banks typically manage monetary policy through yeah. the issuance, at least on a retail basis, of paper money. So you're seeing a lot of thoughts around digital currencies emerging. And so really a huge acceleration in uh, digital payments of all forms and merchants thinking about digital first and location second. And you mentioned Virgin Mobile with Sir Richard Branson. Have you been to Necker and who's better at tennis? (laughs) Yeah, well, Richard is incredibly competitive. That man does not like to lose and nothing (laughs) gave me greater pleasure than beating him in tennis one time after another. And everybody would say, you need to lose to Richard. He's going to be really angry if you if you don't. I was like, there's no way that I'm losing to this guy. And we would have some great battles uh, down at Necker, tennis court down there. Uh, you know, one of the nice things um, about uh, running a virgin company is that we had a couple of board meetings uh, down at Necker Island and uh, at his you know, one of the most lovely places on, on the earth. And I know I said two questions, but one more. I just, I know that you do mixed martial arts. And if you could just give a sense of, I'm because oftentimes, you know, people's hobbies, there's ways that it res- resonates in the rest of their life. Could you explain kind of what it is that you do and what it, how that applies to kind of how you approach running your company or what you're doing? I am uh, an avid mixed martial artist. I've been doing it for a long, long time. I practice uh, Krav Maga, which is the Israeli uh, mixed martial arts form. Krav Maga means contact combat. It's mm-hmm. a pretty effective and somewhat brutal form of, of mixed martial arts where you really, you're never on the defensive. You know, a defensive move is really just a counter to offense. But what I like, as much as I like the physical nature of mixed martial arts, what has really attracted me to it and has kept me uh, such an avid practitioner of it is really the philosophical side of it and the mental side of it. Because, you know, after you've been in a ring sparring, there's really nothing in the office that can upset you or or uh, even seem nearly as intense. And, you know, and it teaches you things like the best way to win a fight is to not get into a fight. Because if you're going to get into a fight, you're going to get hit one way or another. But how do you de-escalate things? Like I remember early on, and this is probably one of the most important decisions that I made at PayPal, which is to create sort of this customer choice and to have detente with really the financial institutions and Visa, MasterCard, the networks across the world. And what how I explained it to the board and how I explained it inside the company was, look, the best way to win a fight is not get into a fight. 
And like, how do we think about what's best for customers and what's best for us to work together within the ecosystem as opposed to try and disrupt it and go head on? And that idea of thinking about what's best for customers, not what is best for our business model and how do we work within the ecosystem was a direct outcome of sort of this philosophy that, that comes from uh, martial arts. I, I think people could be, you know, it'd be a much um, more peaceful place, ironically, if everyone did martial arts. Well, this is what's so interesting because, I mean, it sounds like it's quite brutal and I'm sure you get your bell rung. Even if you're really good, you're going to get Always, your of ass, course. You're going to get your ass kicked eventually, sooner or later in one form or another. That's no why you're so humble you about it. And you also know the more you practice it, the more you know that you have so much more to practice. It just becomes so much more evident that there's so much to learn and to understand. So it's been a big part of my life. So end of money in our lifetime, you think? End of physical money? You know, a lot of people have been wrong about that prediction for a long, long time. I know. I'm not going to be the next in the line (laughs) of that. But clearly the demise of cash or the acceleration of it is is happening. Uh, But it will still be a long time to come before cash leaves our lives completely. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I know we're in a bit over, but I appreciate you taking the time. It's fascinating. Um, We should do this again. I really enjoyed it, Danny. Yeah, it was great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And that is all the time we have. I want to thank Dan for taking the time to Zoom zoom in from his home in Palo Alto. Actually, we used Microsoft Teams, which was my first podcast via Teams. But, you know, that was exciting. I'll be back next week. In the meantime, you can, of course, find me on the Twitters at Danny Fortson. You can email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. And I'll also be writing in uh, the paper for this weekend at thetimes.co.uk. So look for my stuff there. We'll be writing about a few different kind of issues of the week, which are still a little bit up in the air uh, as we speak, but um, just you'll have to wait till Sunday. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. So do buy a copy of the paper or subscribe. Helps keep me in a job. Anyhow, stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. 